Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Willem van Denderen. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. Yours, Rob Gilbert and Willem van Denderen to run the rule over the past week in the world game. News, including the latest on the Socceroos and Matildas with Willem shortly. And it's just the two of us this week. While our man in Qatar, Michael Edgley, continues to prepare for the World Cup, which is now less than 30 days away. And while he won't be joining us for the show, he's filed some reports for us from the Middle East. So we won't be without the big fella's voice on the show. But we will be without the silky tones of Derek Dyson, who is soaking up the rays on a well-earned break up in far North Queensland. But let's get on with it. First up, we'll talk to Ante Kovacevic, former 300-game NSL star, who also had two seasons with Perth Glory. Now the general manager at Brisbane Raw to talk us through uh, everything that's going on at the Raw. But most importantly, um, the controversial decision to close down the Raw Academy. Uh, Last week, the Queensland side confirmed that programs run for ages, those critical ages of 14 to 18, will be closed as they focus on their under-23s and NPL men's team, which former Brisbane Raw player Alex Brosk, uh, obviously famous Sydney FC, but uh, we all remember him at the Roar as well. He slammed the Roar and the owners of the Backwood Group. He said it's time for them to move on. He feels sorry for Warren Moon, the players, and the club is an absolute shambles. That was on SEN's The Global Game with Simon Hill. So it'll be interesting to see what Ante Kovacevic has to say about all of that. Then listeners to the podcast will know we've been watching the incredible performance of Union Berlin in this season's Bundesliga, promoted for the first time in their 116-year history just four years ago. The Iron Union are currently top of the Bundesliga and one of the great football stories of recent years. So who better to talk to than the man who literally wrote the book of the club from the athletic, Kit Holden. So Willem, not often you're in the hot seat, mate, but it's just the two of us this week. As I mentioned, you've been lobbying for this Union story for a while now, and here it is. We learn something every week, Rob, but I think we're going to learn a lot on this program, Union, obviously sitting or making us sit up right around the world and take notice who is this club, who is this team. They're not they're not big names on the pitch. There's not a big name on the touchline. So looking forward to uh, to cracking in uh, with with Kit and also with Ante. A bit going on with Brisbane Raw, there always is. So it'll be good to hear from uh, from the general manager. Yeah, and there's a great parallel with Union uh, and, and that story. I mean, if they can go all the way, we're only a third of the way into the season. But it harks back to when we first started this show, when we met Rob Tanner all those years ago and the incredible story of, Le- story of Leicester City. So um, looking forward to a chat with Kit Mullen. Before we get there, though, top story, the draw for next year's FIFA Women's World Cup has been conducted. Oh, no. What's that? Is that the group of death alarm, Rob? Oh, we had a little breather during the... uh, We had a little breather with the Socceroos. Their group was all right, but straight back to normal procedure for Australian football. This is a disaster. We can't speak with this going on in the background, so we'll have to throw to Edge, I think. Yes, absolutely. We'll throw to Edge. Uh, I know. Well, look, there there are question marks as to whether it is the the group of death or not, uh, because, uh, you know, there there is another pretty difficult group with uh, uh, the Italian women, but uh, we'll talk about that uh, a little later on the show. But first, let's have a listen to Edge. He sat back in his uh, um, armchair over there in the Middle East with his pipe and his uh, monocle on. He looked through the draw and, uh, and well, he filed this. Rob, a fascinating FIFA Women's World Cup draw in Auckland last weekend and Australia drawing Ireland, Nigeria and Canada in Group B will have Tony Gustafsson nervous, if only for recent defeats to Ireland and Canada in friendly matches 
really will challenge the Matildas. But even more so, they're in the same side of the draw as England, France and Germany, and they'll have to defeat all of those teams if they want to take out the Women's World Cup on home soil. Australia up against it, no doubt about it. But what about the United States of America, Rob? They will go in red-hot favourites. They've drawn Vietnam, the Netherlands, who they played in 2018 in France in the final, as well as one of Cameroon, Thailand or Portugal. They've only got Norway, Spain and Sweden to get past. They look like having an armchair ride all the way to the final. In my opinion, it's the USA's World Cup to lose. And what about um, a disaster for tourism for Australia? Australia carrying most of the cost of this World, Women's World Cup, but the Americans, Rob, the Americans will play every match in New Zealand other than a round of 16 tie and the final. Uh, those thousands and thousands of US uh, women's soccer fans will come to spend most of their time in New Zealand. A little bit disappointing for the Australian public to only see the Americans in the round of 16 and the final. However, it is what it is. Well done, New Zealand, in, in securing that coup. But for the Matildas, they've got the job ahead of them, Rob. So, Willem, uh, just listening to what each had to say, I mean, you know, the, the Canada and Nigeria Island, I know it is a, a really tough group. And obviously, uh, you know, we, we lost that double header. So, you know, the last team you want to play is the team that you gave a, a nice, easy warm up to on your own home soil and got beaten by them twice. Ireland, we lost 3 2 to them as well. Nigeria, the Black Stars, uh, the, uh, famously the, the, the number one women's side in Africa. And as he said, we're on the same side of the draw as England, France, and Germany. Look, I, I don't want to be a, uh, a negative person about all of this, but. We're fair to give no chance, aren't we? It's grim, and to get Canada from pot four is the worst possible, uh, the worst possible circumstance. I was at the uh, the Melbourne Derby on Saturday night, and someone. One came up to a friend of our, uh, friend of mine and I. We sort of know him vaguely. He goes, "Oh no, oh no, what's wrong, mate? Like victory had been done. That was okay." But he goes, "We've got Canada." I was like, "Oh, so yeah, not good." And then going forward, people are talking about, "Well, they're not going to be able to win it because they're on the wrong side of the draw." Let's just get out of the groups first for uh, for goodness' mm -hmm. sakes. But yeah, not a great, not a great, uh, not a great result. And interesting from Edge's perspective there about the commercial implications as well with the, uh, mm. the US. Uh, not venturing over to this side of the Tasman. No, interesting. I think you mentioned the round of 16 and the final of the only two games. Uh, uh, if I'm right in saying, though, that, look, I, I, forgive me for being a little bit cynical about this, but the, the New Zealand time zone does work a little bit better for, for uh, American television uh, slots. So, uh, you know, I don't want to suggest that anything, uh, you know, dodgy was going on in the world of football, of course, but, uh, yeah, it um, it was a handy outcome for uh, for the American television networks, just quietly. Brisbane Raw have announced the closure of their academy programs from ages 14 to 18. We'll just preview this one before we welcome in uh, Ante. The club stated they feel Football Queensland upholds the backbone of junior development in the state, and so they'll instead move greater focus onto the under-23s and the NPL men's programs. The Raw have also been accused of pulling out of a rental agreement with the Gold Coast Suns over a new training base at Carrara uh, by Suns chairman Tony Cochran. Uh, this all does pale into significant uh, insignificance, though, Rob, following the passing of former Raw striker Masuto Kudo this week, who uh, was just 32. Uh, he'd been hospitalised with hydrocephalus uh, and complications from that surgery has unfortunately uh, led to his passing. He made his name with Kashiwa Raisol and Senfrechi Hiroshima, uh, played four times for his nation, which is a very considerable achievement. We know about the strength of the Samurai Blue uh, and then made 14 appearances for the Raw last season. And a, a lovely tribute uh, from Charlie Austin and Riku Danzaki, his countryman, uh, on Saturday and Nothing really more that can be said other than just a very, very sad occurrence. Yeah, it puts it into perspective, doesn't it? 32 years old, he's uh, 
just become a man and uh, you know achieve so much in his football career and um, and that um, that brain infection that um, that he suffered from. There's uh, very few people that survive that, and uh, you know Japan is a country with some of the best medical care in the world. So if he's not going to survive over there, then uh, you know there are very few countries uh, in the world that uh, that might manage to have uh, have kept him. Um, Kept him going, so yeah, valet to to him, and um, and we'll talk to to Ante a little bit about that and acknowledge uh, his passing as well. And we talk to him as well. Aston Villa have enjoyed a mighty managerial bounce after the sacking of Stephen Gerrard, uh, thumping Brentford four 0 under interim boss Aaron Danks. Gerrard was dismissed after their three 0 loss to Fulham, uh, at which point they sat seventeenth after eleven matches. So his record from just under a year in the job ends at thirteen wins from forty matches. Elsewhere, Arsenal have had their lead atop the table cut to two points after being held by Southampton and Leicester climbed out of the relegation zone with a 4-0 over Wolves. So Rob, Stevie G, the Tijuana Brass, uh, you can't always write your own Hollywood ticket with things like this. I think uh, I'm not a Liverpool man, but it would have been a nice story to see him ascend to that Jurgen Klopp role. Could still happen. Have to say it looks decidedly unlikely now, not within the next five to six years at least. He's, uh, He's back to not to call Rangers square one, but he's going to have to go back and prove himself once again. Yeah, well, he'll get an opportunity, but um, when the the team bounces back so dramatically, I mean, we often see a dead cat bounce with uh, with um, teams when a, when a coach is sacked in in all sports around the world. But you know, this was the most dramatic uh, um, uh, that uh, you could possibly have imagined. Three up after just fifteen minutes, um, they were an entirely different side. And uh, you know, we talked to Greg Evans from the Athletic last week about the malaise that had descended over the club and the fan base, and and he said if uh, if they had have lost uh, um, against Fulham, which they duly did, and uh, and had a red card as well, uh, then, then Stevie Gerard, Stephen Gerrard turning up at uh, Villa Park would have been toxic. Uh, so the, um, the the owners of the club took um, the only decision possible. And uh, look, you know, they're, they're, they're sitting 14th. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they're a, a clear win out of the drop zone. Um, so they obviously weren't going to take any chances and uh, and let them slide. But uh, look, I guess the question mark is, as we, we know, again, in in sports around the world, being a, a, a superstar player does not automatically equate to being a, a, a wonderful uh, manager or coach. So, uh, you know, is this the end of him as a, as a manager? I don't think so. There'll be other opportunities. But I think if you go back in time and think uh, uh, where he'd come from and he just made his name at Rangers, um, you know, he'd won the title, he got them into the Champions League and uh, and the, the, the lure of, of going to the Premier League was, was just a little bit too attractive. Uh, he took it. Um, you got to wonder whether he regrets that decision now. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Grenadier Army. Geez, that World Cup is getting close. Rob Aaron Moy and Cam Devlin were both central to the action as Celtic beat Hearts 4-3 in a cracker at Tynecastle. Moy missed a sitter, but he did lay on a couple of assists in what was a top topsy-turvy clash. Uh, well worth a look at the extended highlights if you find uh, a little bit of time up your sleeve this week. Devlin also earned plenty of plaudits, earned two penalties for his side. Uh, Celtic lead the league by four points in the wash-up. Real concerns this week over Aideen Rustic's World Cup availability with uh, what Graham Arnold told us was a rolled ankle. Uh, must be a little bit more significant than that. He's not going to play for Hellas Verona again before the World Cup, uh, but there is word coming through now that he might just be all right. So fingers crossed on that one, Rob, particularly given uh, Tom Rogic is only playing in fits and spurts at uh, the baggies, West Brom. Yeah, that's true. Um, hopefully, um, you know the, the, the rehab goes well. But but uh, the rehab's going well with Harry Suter. We hear that. 
that he's uh, about to, uh, or a couple of weeks away from uh, from being the first side with Stoke City, and then and Kai Rolls is back to, to running again. Uh, so so that's good news. Forty five minutes and seventy one minutes for Suto in his first two appearances for Stokes reserves. Uh, Rolls apparently progressing relatively well, and Nathaniel Atkinson hopefully nothing more than a, uh, a significantly rolled ankle as well. And you can always strap that up and jab that up uh, when it comes to getting on the pitch at a World Cup. Uh, minutes as well this week for Riley McGree and Al Mobile. You'd think both of those guys will be uh, seeing some time in Qatar. To the Matildas, Caitlin Ford has been the star of the week. She uh, scored twice and earned player of the match plaudits across her two games for Arsenal. Her double came as Arsenal opened the Women's Champions League with a 5-1 win over Lyon, which was the first time that that side, obviously a powerhouse of women's football, had conceded four or more in 17 years. Yeah, incredible. It was uh, a wonderful uh, outcome and uh, and Arsenal just doing so well uh, in in the, the men's and the women's right now it, uh, it was incredible so to 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 get a result like that against Leon with their their glittering history as one of the great sporting clubs of of all sports uh, around the world is uh, just a tremendous and and to see one of our girls uh, you know with uh, less than 12 months away from the world cup in that kind of form in that kind of company uh, and it, it's um it's uh, you know a goal scoring kind of form. That's uh, that's just the kind of news we uh, we needed to hear. And to close out, before we welcome in Ante Kovacevic from the Brisbane Roar, Trevor Morgan's under twenties have qualified for next year's under twenty Asian Cup in Uzbekistan. They beat Iran one nil to top Group H. They only needed to draw heading into that last one, but they got the business done anyway, courtesy of a Gabriel Popovich goal. So that tournament is scheduled to be staged in Uzbekistan from March the first to the eighteenth, twenty twenty three. That might just change, but on the whole, uh, our junior development. We've been following this pretty closely, and there was sort of some uh, some concern a little while back about how we were tracking. But uh, the Joeys qualified for their upcoming tournament. The under twenties uh, have done so as well. So things positive on the whole in our national team junior development at the minute. Yeah, across the men and the women, uh, excellent stuff. Well, well done. Okay, we're going to talk to Ante Kovacevic next, general manager at the Brisbane Raw. Look, the Raw just seem to be the whipping boy of football right now. I mean, they, they don't seem to be able to, to do anything right. And uh, and like anyone who's got a voice in in football, that uh, uh, is. Uh, listen to in the mainstream media it, it, it is uh, beholden on us to to ask the questions of the people in charge especially when they're getting whacked uh, from pillar to post so it'll be interesting to see what what ante says he's a considered guy uh, he's a genuine football person he's been slammed a few times most notably as we said off the top by alex brosk who's got a uh, uh, you know a, a huge reputation in football a respected person and when he uh, he says the place is in absolute shambles um, you're going to ask the boss at the club and we're going to do that after the break on Box to Box. Chemist Warehouse. Bup, bup. Well, we are the biggest fans of Chemist Warehouse out there because we love everything about them. There's so many deals that you can get from Chemist Warehouse whenever you're in the uh, Chemist Warehouse store. Right now, you can get INC plant protein vanilla or chocolate, one kilogram for just $19.99, Willem. Sounds good to me. Need to go back and get some more. Well, uh, the Masashi Shred Matrix Passion Fruit, two seventy grams for twenty nine ninety nine. The entire Bondi Protein Coast Limit Blend. If you need to lose, you don't need to lose weight. Well, I might do. One kilogram range, thirty four ninety nine. No, that's good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And in addition to visiting your chemist warehouse store, you'd be online. Click and collect. You're a click and collect guy. Oh, I'm a click and collect guy. I mean, uh, it's nice that the options there, but no, I'm more than happy to roll down to uh, to Paran. I always enjoy the uh, the in person experience from the friendly staff in the nice blue tops. That's it. There's always something you need, isn't there? But if you don't want to go into the store, you can order online for delivery by Australia Post. Call your local store to ask for same-day home delivery. T's and C's and charges may apply. Well, I'm aware of the great savings every single day. 
Kevin Swayhouse. Of course they are. Catching. Kevin Swayhouse. Our great friends. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, Brisbane Raw, they've been in the news a lot lately. Uh, started uh, the season a little slowly. Proved a little on the weekend. But uh, the man who uh, is the general manager at the club, uh, former 300-game NSL star, had a couple of seasons with the Perth Glory. Ante Kovacevic is with us now. How are you, Ante? Very good, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. Not at all. Ante, before we move on, uh, I just wanted uh, to acknowledge the passing of uh, of uh, former striker with the club, Masato Kudo, uh, 32 years old, Japanese, uh, uh, passed away after um, uh, a brain surgery in Japan last week. Uh, the club's put out um, a statement, Warren Moon. Um, your thoughts uh, on, on um, his brief time, only 14 games at the club, but, uh, but a sad loss. Oh, look, very sad, and obviously, uh, young age is only 32, I think he was, so devastating. He was just uh, probably, you know, hitting the prime of his life, and, uh, you know, just a footballer, just wanted to go about it. And, you know, obviously, sad uh, for his uh, family and friends, and um, obviously, people related. He had a bit of a stint here with Brisbane North, so obviously, people related to the Australian game, obviously aware of his connection here. So, no, just very sad, very sad at that age, for sure. Um, insofar as uh, football on the park, we want to talk to you about the academy in a moment. But uh, but on the weekend, uh, a um, a competitive draw against uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers have been in some pretty good form themselves. Uh, um, it's been a slow start to the season. Uh, uh, what's your assessment uh, of of what you saw from the boys on the weekend? Yeah, definitely an improvement from uh, the previous game against Melbourne City. Look, um, I, I thought we were probably. Unlucky not to get away with full three points in that game, considering the first two chances in the first uh, five minutes of the game before uh, where Sydney went on and scored and hit the front. But um, and then the two disallowed goals in the second half. It was a much better performance in the second half. Um, you know, where Sydney, as you mentioned, have got two wins out of two games, so they're on a bit of a high. Um, but it's a, you know, look, Melbourne City are a um, are the benchmark and have been the benchmark of the league for the last three years. Uh, so it wasn't. Um, I'd say it wasn't a surprise. We're you know, obviously disappointed with our performance against Melbourne City, but um, you know they are the benchmark, and it was always going to be a tough game. But uh, you know, I thought we'd come back from that, and um, Warren and the boys did well coming back from Sydney with one point. And like I said, I think the general consensus was that uh, we're unlucky, unlucky not to get all three. Yeah, look, um, some have uh, have said that, mate. Um, but uh, on to the... Um, the reason that we've, we've largely invited you onto the show this week, uh, there's been a lot of controversy. Uh, I mentioned off the top um, uh, about the uh, the announcement of, of the club um, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, you're uh, you're disbanding the academy. Um, I, I've listened to uh, to um, Alex Rosk on the Global Game podcast uh, on SEN, and uh, he was was pretty harsh. Uh, and uh, you, you've probably uh, yep. heard uh, the, the remarks he's made. He says the club's in an absolute shambles. He says the back group mm-hmm. uh, best to move on. I mean, what's your response to, to, to like stinging remarks like that from a you know a, a, an elder statesman, um, you know, significant voice in the game? Look, initially, I think it's disappointing that he doesn't pick up the phone and actually gives give a call to someone within the club. Obviously, myself and Matt Smith are back involved in the club. Obviously, Shane Stefanudo is there. Um, you know, I've had a few calls from football identities around the country and asking what's uh, what's the reason for them, why are we doing it? And look, ultimately, after a discussion about it and informing people of why the reasons uh, are for, for taking this decision, I think people are all for it. Now, 
you know, Broski's obviously he's got his opinions and that's fine. But, you know, I think a lot of uh, uninformed, uninformed opinions are out there. And uh, unfortunately, they're not uh, getting a balanced view of and actually speaking to people from the club to just, you know, to actually understand why that decision was taken and um, where we think and how we think we will benefit the club. So, um, you know, Broski knows and I've played against Broski from back in the NFL days. So, because, you know, there's, it's, the football community is pretty small. Everyone knows everyone. Um, we can, anyone can get anybody's phone number. Um, to go out on a on a bit of a rant and you know blame the Bakri group, blame the ownership, demand change, it's definitely an over overreaction and over the top reaction, um, you know, and and definitely unfounded. So uh, there's no reason for that at all and unjustified. So um, a bit disappointing. Um, but yeah, look, look, like I said, it, there's there's better to do it, and I think if people want to actually really understand why why it's happening, then um, you know I don't think the outrage will be. Would be what it was. So, Ante, what are the primary reasons for the uh, the closure and the restructure? Is it primarily around being able to assign more resources to the top end of the uh, academy age group, if you like, the under twenty threes yep. and the MPL men's competition? Yep, absolutely. And look, and that's part of it. So that's definitely a significant part of it. Uh, ultimately, it's a discussion around uh, what efforts and what uh, what fruits are being bared from investing in that uh, lower age group from you know the twelves to fifteens. Now. And I spent some time in Adelaide at Adelaide United. Adelaide United have never actually had an, had an academy, right? So they've never had an academy. There's never been any outrage about it. People get on with it. And they're probably the most uh, recognised or renowned club for developing youth, and playing youth and selling youth and still having a competitive team. Right? That was done with all without an academy and only running two teams in the NPL competition, right? So the outrage towards Brisbane Raw is... Is like I said, it's unjustified. Now, what difference? Can, I suppose the question is, what can we do in that space? And talent identification from that 10 to 15 age group is, uh, you know, the conversion rates of picking a player that's going to make professional football at that age is much, much less than picking a player from 15 to 20 that will be converted into a professional footballer. So, concentrating on that space, you know, putting some more resources into that space, dedicating. Uh, a, a commitment to improving that space and making it as much of a, an elite environment for those two teams, which could encompass somewhere between 40 to 45 players, and trying to bring those guys a level of professionalism that converts them into professional A-League footballers and beyond. So there's there's a model out there that's been working in the A-League since its inception. Uh, there's a model, there's plenty of other models, and I think sometimes undertaking the academy uh, was almost a change of uh, mind. And I've been working in Australian football for a while and obviously played here for a long time. All the discussion around having academies was let the state governing bodies run it, A-League teams concentrate on the upper-level youth teams and leave that. Until the Dutch guys come into the FA, they try to convert it and r- run a Dutch model where clubs have an academies and clubs coach their philosophy and, and do all that sort of stuff. All the romantic notions you have about football, our club academy and our Stevie Gerrard that comes through the juniors and plays for the seniors and captains the club. You know, that's all romantic notions. But the real, real reality of Australian football is that there's not much uh, we can do to affect as much in that 10 to 15 age group. Right? I think the investment going in there it needs to be redirected. And whether that benefits and ideally benefits the youth, youth teams that we'll have, the women's team and even the A-League team. So that money can be re reallocated within the club to other areas where the benefits will hopefully be greater and benefit everyone within the club.
Now, I understand there'll be parents and kids that are disappointed. It's always hard when you take things away because the notion is that you're cost-cutting and, and the rest of it. So I understand the anger, but there needs to be more discussion about why it's happening. If I put my, I sent uh, everyone the email. I've listened to any sort of complaints and always had my door open or, or my uh, ears listening to whatever the concerns are. And I'll try to talk to anybody that wants to listen, that actually wants to understand why this is a concern. Um, and once again, look, you know, uh, Brentford in the UK actually got rid of their academies, right? And concentrate on that, their senior group and a, and a under-23 group. And the reasons are to, you know, just convert those players. So it is, you know, there is a different mindset. It goes against the grain of every traditional sort of mindset that people have about ball clubs. Uh, but unfortunately, it's a reality in Australia. And Adelaide United have proven that there is, is a model that, uh, that works. To the raw more broadly, Ante, you've had your feet under the desk for a little bit over a month now. Um, what would you say to your to your fans and members are priorities uh, outside of, of course, this academy uh, this academy issue, if you like? What other uh, sort of priorities are you are you working on to move the club forward? Well, look, obviously, we want the club to be based back in Brisbane. I think a lot of people have spoken about that. That's common knowledge that was spoken about before I joined the club. Emphasis of uh, creating a base and creating bringing back coming back to the roots of the club within Brisbane. Um, obviously, there's a, um, a facility uh, that's, that'll be a football base here, and uh, hopefully by by this time next year, we'll have uh, a training base in Brisbane, uh, have more games at Suncorp, office space in in, uh, in Brisbane near Suncorp, and uh, moving to re uh, reestablish um, engagement with the, with the local community, and local football community. Hey, Ante, look, thanks. We've we've covered a, a lot of different stuff, um, but it's uh, it's all out there in the news at the moment, and and there's no better way to clear the air and find out a little bit more from the source than to yeah. talk to the boss uh, at the club, mate. And um, and you could easily have uh, said, boys, uh, I think we'll pass on it this week, but you didn't, and you've uh, uh, you stepped up. No, so absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show, Ante. We really appreciate it, mate. No, no, absolutely. Like I said, mate, it's, 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 there's not many, there's, there are a few secrets behind you know behind clubs but uh most of the stuff we're trying to get out there it's it's public knowledge and we're happy to discuss it and we've got nothing to hide it's not a there are strategies behind it and uh, we're happy to get them out people want to listen absolutely well we'll get you on again uh in 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 the future mate and um and there's nothing no no negative story that doesn't get washed away by a couple of wins as well mate so um, no exactly right we know that that always happens in football doesn't it anti kovacevic General Manager of the Brisbane Royal. Okay, stick around. We've got a great chat coming up next uh, with Kit Holden from The Athletic about Union Berlin. William, Willem, you've been uh, trying to get this one for a while and we finally got it here this week. It is going to be a fascinating chat. Stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Going to buy Hoyt Spaces. Everyone's going to save a dollar or two. Everyone's going to buy Hoyt Spaces. Yeah. I can't sing, but I can cook. I love cooking. I love eating. And our friends, the Greater Cardo family from Hoyt Herbs and Spices, you find them in your Safeway, your Coles, your independent supermarkets. They're always on hand for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and change the mood of your food. Now, Willem, sometimes we go for complex dishes, don't we? Multiple flavours. Absolutely, we do. We've spoken about the uh, the garam masala over the uh, the recent months. Yeah, sometimes I like the simplicity of a, a nice, easy dish. And this one, all you need from your Hoyt spice rack is dry chilli, Hoyt's rock salt, cracked, and the four-colour peppercorn mix. And this dish uh, is called spaghetti alla assassina. Oh, the assassin's known. dish. How did you know that, Willem? Oh. 
crunchy spaghetti, fried in tomato sauce garlic, and the hottest red chili from Hoyt's, and sprinkled with more chili powder. So caramelized, they appear glossy, shiny, and covered in grease. So all you need to do is you get your spaghetti, you get your tomato paste, and a nice passata that you want to cook down in olive oil with fried garlic and some basil, fresh basil, of course, and a good olive oil, and then introduce your chili. And just let it cook down, and then when you're done, and you've cooked your pasta, you put it all in the middle of that sauce. A nice, uh, fresh grana padano parmesan cheese. Grate it over the top. I'm fair to come. You'll absolutely... You like it, Willem? You're smiling, man. Uh, it sounded yeah. good, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very much so. Oh, it is good. Simple, but absolutely... De- and no meat either. I love meat, but this is a great vegetarian dish. Refill your empty spice jars with Oitz Value Packs. You'll be happy with Oitz at Goldsworths and all good independent supermarkets. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. Now, I said off the top of the show that Willem's been uh, talking about Union Berlin for some time now, watching their trajectory up the ladder. And it's an interesting story as it connects to our podcast because we did launch this show back in the 2015-16 season as we watched uh, Leicester City go from uh, uh, from underdogs to contenders to, to winning the whole thing. And uh, our, uh, our friend Rob Tanner started appearing on the show and he wrote a book called 5001 back then. Uh, so when we started scouting around to, to find somebody to talk about Union uh, we were introduced to our next guest uh, who wrote the book, Shaisa. We're going up the unexpected rise of Berlin's Rebel Football Club. Now, in my schoolboy German, I think Shaisa means uh, shit. Uh, but hey, you get the point. Uh, no football club in the world, as the, the publicity for the book says, has fans like uh, Union Berlin. The underdogs from East Berlin, they've stuck it up the Stasi. They've built their own stadium and, and literally even given blood to save their club. Uh, but uh, we, uh, we'll, we'll, I'll stop talking about it and welcome our guest, uh, uh, Kit Holden from The Athletic, uh, to the show. How are you, Kit? Yeah, very well, very well. Yeah, thank you for having me on. No, not at all. And, and Kit, um, so so your book, uh, The Unexpected Rise of Berlin's Rebel Football Club, so for, for, for those of our listeners who are unfamiliar with Union, they certainly know that uh, they're sitting on top of the ladder. Usually uh, uh, we like to think we're a bit of a lucky charm when we have guests on, but we uh, actually had an overnight loss to a uh, Bochum uh, who are at the bottom of the ladder, a bit similar to, to Forest beating Liverpool uh, over there in the Premier League. But uh, t- tell us a little bit about this club and, and, and just why they're re- referred to as, as as a rebel club yeah so i think i mean i mean it's uh, flattering to, to say it's like forest beating liverpool because i think the <laughs> new fans would still be still reeling really from from even being in the in the bundesliga in the first division that alone being top of it a few years later so um it, it really has been an incredible rise in the last few years and i think the kind of rebel myth if you like i mean it's sort of no smoke without fire but it is a kind of a a, a, a a slight legend in, in terms of their, their identity, that they're a kind of rebel club. And it's based on two things. And the first one is is their history in, in the former East Germany. Um, they were the, the civilian club. Um, they were also founded by the state, like all football clubs were there, but they were the civilian club as opposed to the uh, the police club, the Stasi club, um, the club backed by the secret police in, in communist East Germany. And uh, as a result, they were very structurally disadvantaged. Uh, they didn't get the best players. They didn't get the best facilities. Um, and then it, kind of as a result of that as well, they became the club which kind of attracted the punkers, the hippies, the you know the people who maybe wanted to use their football fandom to to express something a little bit different or something against the 
the prevailing status quo under communism. And so there was this sort of legend that built up around Onion that that yeah, they were the they were the rebels, they were the outsiders, and they were the the underdogs. And that I think after then they get the second part of the myth, which is the the, the period after German reunification, after the Berlin Wall comes down. Um, where like many many east german clubs they really really struggled to adapt to capitalism they had a lot of financial troubles in in the 1990s and 2000s um and it was that kind of really strong fan base that had this really really uh, strong emotional tie to the club that kept them alive essentially and they did all these incredible things that that you know most football fans would would say they might do but but never really be be asked to do be put in the position where they had to do so yeah, they donated blood, as you said, to to raise money to stop the club going bankrupt. They they pitched in two thousand more than two thousand of them pitched in to, to rebuild the stadium when it was it was close to being torn down and needed needed renovation. Um, founded a, a tradition of, of singing carols on their own pitch every every Christmas Eve uh, in two thousand and three, and all these incredible stories that that sort of created this this quite unique fan culture in European football. Um, uh, this club and that kind of yeah consolidated the myth of, of Onion as this place with a, a special fan base and, and a sense of kind of being outsiders and doing things a, a little bit differently. So yeah, everyone's really excited that they now also got, got footballing success because that's mm. that's never been the case until now. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the financial problems. Unification of Germany was in 1990 and there were a couple of occasions, I think uh, I, I'm correct in saying that uh, Union won their own division in 93 and 94, but they were, they were actually denied uh, promotion because of their financial status at the time. Yeah, exactly, and that was, uh, was a couple of years in a row where they became they became known as the unpromotables. Um, if they if they didn't actually lose on the pitch in the playoffs and, and managed to, to mess it up that way, then it would be the financial trouble that stopped them. In Germany, there are, are rules in about you know you have to present a certain amount of financial health as a club in order to get licenses for a particular league, and they they yeah, and there are a few kind of scandals as well that a forged uh, a bank guarantee that that nobody has ever really claimed responsibility for that was eventually uncovered and, and meant they, they were denied promotion in, in, in that year in the early 90s so yeah it was a turbulent time I think for all these German clubs as well and it was uh, it took uh, you know when it took it took 20 years for for uh, there to be any club stable enough as on your to from the former East Germany to uh, even think about getting into the into the Bundesliga and that kind of I think does say a lot about about the still enduring economic differences between East and West Germany and that's yeah Part of the bit as well. Kit, fast forward to 2019 and the club starting to consider promotion to the Bundesliga from the second division. And I've, I've pulled up a quote from former stadium announcer Andre Voller, who said, I don't want the club to go up because I'm convinced that little by little they would then have to sacrifice their values. Was this concern widespread amongst the fan base? And has the club had to compromise in any way in the couple of seasons since? Yeah, I think it was. I mean, the the, the title of my book, Scheisse, We're Going Up, is, is based on this banner that the Union fans held up in, in 2017 when they first got close to promotion to the Bundesliga and it was it was kind of a joke but it was it was also there was there was some truth in it and that, that that was a widespread feeling that you know what they had and what they managed to build here after all these tough times was something special and there was a special atmosphere there there was a special sense of community there was a special sense of of a shared history and and that the, the closer you get to the top the more kind of sacrifices you have to make in order to uh you know keep getting the money that keeps you at the top or, or attract the players that that you know might might make you get better or or even you might struggle with the fact that you know on your own you've got over the last 10 years a huge surge in membership a huge surge in popularity that means new people are coming to the club who maybe don't have the shared history who maybe don't necessarily or have different ideas about what the club should be and, and what the club's identity should be so those are all the challenges that i think people were a bit 
yeah apprehensive of i mean since then the the fact that the footballing successes has been sustained and and it's just got you know gone from one fairy tale to another on the pitch has kind of softened that feeling a bit but there have been uh hiccups I mean, in the in the first year they came up they they um uh, struck a deal for a new shirt sponsorship with a, a company called the round town who are a major property development company and that was a huge scandal internally because you know, we're talking about a city here which is, is dealing with the huge housing crisis where there was a referendum last year on on uh, basically expropriating major property companies like this one because of the way they were they were affecting the rental market in Berlin and making it more and more difficult for people who and communities who have lived in certain areas to stay there um, because prices were going up so quickly. Um, and that, that the parallels to to the changes going on within the community or Orneum were so were so obvious and, and it felt like such a kind of tactless decision for a lot of people to to put a company like that on your shirts as soon as you grow up. So there have been hiccups, but as I say, I think the fact that they've just gone from strength to strength, stayed in the league, got into Europe twice, uh, and now top of the league has meant that kind of some of those difficult questions have, have been allowed to be smoothed over in the last few years, but they will remain uh, a challenge in the next five and ten years. I think. Drilling down to the team itself, I think one of the more intriguing aspects, certainly from my perspective and perhaps for Australian audiences and foreign audiences more broadly, is that when you look at the team sheet, these aren't household names. Uh, so could you maybe just enlighten us a little bit about the manager, Lewis Fisher, who he is and sort of what his his sort of values are as a, as a manager on the pitch and what he's achieved uh, since taking the job in mid-2018, just after the last World Cup? Yeah, I mean, you say not 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 a household names. I mean, in in some ways, they're they're household names in Germany, but that's even more surprising because they're household names for being quite kind of average Bundesliga players. A lot of them, and they're now you know competing at a level which is far beyond what they were able to do at other clubs. And I think that's what Fischer has kind of always been able to do. There's always been a big turnover of players and and, and turnover of the squad uh, in the years since he joined. There's always been ten players leaving, ten players coming in every summer almost. Um, but he's always managed to, despite that, keep a, a certain level of cohesion and and continuity and, and a sense of of essentially team spirit. I mean, it, you talk to the players and they say, look. We, we have a clear way of playing. Every single player knows exactly what, they, what they're supposed to be doing at every single moment of every game. And it sounds very simple, but I mean, it, it, you see the results on the pitch. You know, you, you see last week they played Borussia Dortmund and, and Borussia Dortmund's squad costs God knows how much more than Union does. Um, they're on paper a clearly far superior team, but they just weren't working together in the same way that Union were together. And that's not always pretty with all those Fisher's football. It is a lot of the time. It's it's safety first. It's it's let's build a, a very strong, solid back three that uh, will form the basis of our game and and hit teams on the counter. Um, and they do have limitations in in terms of their their, their play on the ball and and yeah, that defensive style. But it, ultimately, it works. And I think. His ability to to create that very very clear uh, playing philosophy, playing style, and communicate it very very uh, simply to to new players coming in has meant that yeah this this turnover of squad and and the the lacking quality um, have just been more than compensated for in the last few years. And what about the stadium itself? Pardon my German. The Alte Fosteri, I believe, looks brilliant, particularly against uh, against Dortmund the other night. Uh, I think the club, correct me if I'm wrong, they refused to sell naming rights and opts for minimal commercial advertising sort of in step with the rest of the club's values. So could you maybe just take us, for those of us in Australia who can't get over there at the minute, to what match day feels like uh, and what it means to to the supporters in terms of having such a, a strong sense of home? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really special place. I mean, it's, it's nestled out in the woods in sort of southeast of, uh, of Berlin and near the sort of lake country in, in, in the southeast there. And it's... Uh, you know, you walk through whether it's a beautiful Sunday afternoon as it was against Dortmund the other week, or whether it's one of these horrible foggy, foggy nights and you see the floodlights kind of looming out through the trees. Um, it's it's one of the most 
kind of special and, and goosebump inducing walks to a football stadium I think that, that there is in Europe um, and then when you get in there, it, it feels like another world. I mean, you know, it's it's you know the smell of the the bratwurst smoke coming off the barbecue and and beers and and I think the thing that really makes it special is though is the fact that it's three or four stands are all standing, they're all terraced, and and that means that the atmosphere is just a little bit more different. There's a little less segregation between the posh seats and the, because there are no posh seats effectively, in, in at least in those three stands. So everyone's mixed in together. Uh, pretty much every game, particularly on those big games, the 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 kind of force and the energy you get from from a great atmosphere it doesn't just reverberate in the in the stand behind the goal as it does in most stadiums it reverberates around the entire stadium um and that's that's i mean it is something very very unique and, and almost kind of anachronistic in that and it feels like kind of you know people talked about football as it was in the 60s 70s and 80s and uh yeah i think that's something that particularly obviously you know these are fans that built the stadium themselves i mean they have a very very visceral kind of emotional link to it for that reason but i think also it's one of the big kind of things that people worry about in the next few years there will be a stadium expansion there needs to be a stadium expansion um but how do you retain that atmosphere how do you retain that sense of that special sense of place um when you go from twenty thousand to, to thirty-five thousand or forty thousand overnight so uh that'll be another big challenge but even that i mean you know they've they've the plans for the expansion have have uh, been very very carefully done to make sure it's still majority standing that the the kind of essence of the stadium remains so i think yeah people are people are optimistic that, that the, the soul of the club, as they call it, will will stay intact. And uh, to the season at hand, uh, we're 11 match days into uh, to, uh, um, one third of the season played. We're going to have the World Cup break come up again soon. We, we mentioned off the top that that Union uh, that had lost to, to the last place, Bochum, um, over over the weekend. Uh, so w- what's your assessment? I mean, we, we, we recall very clearly watching the, the story of Leicester City where where it was impossible to believe. I mean, they've had a, a stumble. Do you think they can uh, to, can recalibrate and, uh, and, and, and maintain this run and, and potentially do the well, you know, in uh, inverted commas, impossible. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know what the odds were at the start of the season. Um, I'd be surprised if they were smaller than five thousand to one, because I think personally it would be an even more incredible story than Leicester um, if they if they were to go all the way. But I mean, uh, you know, when we saw against Bochum, there's another example of there are limitations to this team. You know, if they concede first, if they're against a team who are who are trying to use their own weapons against them and, and sitting back and hitting them on the counter, then they struggle more than when they play teams where where they can kind of suffocate them and and, and hit them on the break. Um, um, and they do need, and as Fisher has been very frank about that in the last few weeks, they do need to kind of improve that aspect of their game in possession and, and when in games that they themselves have to control. If they're going to go all the way, they will need to do that because otherwise, over a season, teams will suss them out. But the, the thing that they've always done in the last three or four years is that they've always responded really, really quickly when they've had one of those setbacks. You know, they've never had a run of more than about three or four games of, of really bad results. And I think. You know, if if Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and these kind of teams do continue to to slip up every now and then, I think it is entirely possible that Union could stay in and around the top until until the end of the season. Obviously, they need a lot of luck to go their way. They need other results to go their way. But I think this this team is well, well, it's, it's gelled enough. It's there's enough euphoria and, and optimism around this club that, that that can carry them a very very long way indeed. And, and like Leicester in 2016, they have absolutely nothing to lose, and they will have nothing to lose until the last day of the season. So. I think we've seen in the last few years how, how far that's carried them. They, they were one point off the Champions League last year, which is, I mean, even that is just, it's dreamland for Union fans. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a romantic, I'm an optimist. I think it is possible, but it, it, it would be, 
even more impressive than Leicester because it's it's, it's so unlikely. <laughs> well, mate, um, we might have to get you back on because uh, Rob Tanner rode that wave with us throughout the, the season and uh, uh, it, it really was quite incredible uh, to watch that. He's become a good friend of the show and uh, and comes on regularly and we're sort of uh, we're all sort of uh, pseudo Leicester City fans now, hoping that they stay up in their relegation battle as we will be for Union uh, as uh, they go up against uh, well, mid-table Mönchengladbach who have been pretty inconsistent this season, so probably the, the right kind of opponent to, to, to see if they can bounce back pretty quickly. Yeah, they've got a good record against them at home as well, so we'll see. Excellent. Well, Kit Holden, um, we, uh, we'll just give you your book a plug. I did check it out. You can buy it in, uh, in uh, Australian bookstores right now, so uh, it, it's a rollicking good read, and if you, uh, well, you know, it's nearly November, it's time to start thinking of your, your favourite football fan in the family for Christmas. So so tell us, uh, repeat, you know, for us the title of the book and, uh, and, and, um, and, and you know, well, why should football fans buy it and have it on their bookshelf, mate? It's just not, it's not your classic sort of football book, is it? No, no, so it's the, the book's called Shy Silver Going Up and it's published by Duckworth Books and it's, it's yeah, it's a history of this club and, and, and what makes this club special and it's, it's let, I mean, it is obviously a football book but it's it's less about the football and more about this community and, and, and how it's developed under, uh, in the context of, of East German history and, and the Cold War and, and the period after that of German reunification and, and it's about really a question of what happens to a football community in a, a community which has really, really strong ties to a region and to a shared history when that community starts being really successful? How does it deal with success? How does it deal with new people coming in? Um, I think that's a really fundamental sort of social question posed. And it's, yeah, uh, against the backdrop of this this fascinating and, and iconic and, and unique club. So, yeah, <laughs> go and buy it, please. <laughs> we, we sure will, mate. We 100% will. Kit, thanks so much for coming on the show. Um, we uh, we might indulge ourselves and contact you again soon, maybe up around the World Cup and find out how the Mannschaft are, uh, are, are going and, uh, and whether they can win their what, sixth title, I think. Um, I don't know that there's enough room for another star on that shirt, but uh, um, it's, uh, it's going to be exciting. So thanks again, Kit, and um, we'll, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Not at all. Kit Hold. Union Berlin they're on top of the ladder they lost on the weekend but they're still on top by a point uh, watch the Bundesliga you will if you love football and you do obviously because you listen to this show then uh, you will love it okay stick around after the break World Cup corner on box to box Chemist Warehouse bup, bup. well we are the biggest fans of Chemist Warehouse out there because we love everything about them there's so many deals that you can get from Chemist Warehouse whenever you're in the uh, Chemist Warehouse store. Right now, you can get INC plant protein vanilla or chocolate, one kilogram for just $19.99, Willem. Sounds good to me. Need to go back and get some more? uh, The Masashi Shred Matrix Passion Fruit, 270 grams for $29.99. The entire Bondi Protein Coast Limit Blend, if you need to lose, you don't need to lose weight, Willem, I do. One kilogram range, $34.99. No, that's good stuff, absolutely. And in addition to visiting your Chemist Warehouse store, you'd be online, click and collect. You're a click and collect guy? Oh, I'm a click and collect guy. I mean, uh, it's nice that the option's there, but no, I'm more than happy to roll down to uh, to Paran. I always enjoy the uh, the in-person experience from the friendly staff in the nice blue tops. That's it. There's always something you need, isn't there? But if you don't want to go into the store, you can order online for delivery by Australia Post. Call your local store to ask for same-day home delivery. These and season charges may apply. Well, I'm aware of the great savings every single day. Chemist Warehouse. Of course they are. Chemist Warehouse. Our great friends. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. It's been a fun show, Willem. You've done exceptionally well, mate. I think, um, you know, Edge and uh, Derek, uh, they might just... Uh, 
have a couple more breaks while you get into the hot seat, mate, and uh, take oh. over the proceedings. Thank you, Rob. I think Ed just surely uh, used his tickets by this point. Very, uh, very excited <laughs> to hear what he's got to say. Uh, not next week, but coming up right now, because he has filed a, uh, a report from the ground in in Doha World Cup, less than a month away now, and it's been one of the most discussed and debated tournaments in sporting history, I think. I remember being just a small boy in Year 7 in 2010, waking up early one morning and hoping that Australia had, uh, had won the rights to the World Cup, and it was Russia, and it was Qatar. And we're now on the doorstep of uh, of that all kicking off. The uh, the rush is on to make sure that Doha is ready to roll. Uh, let's hear from now from Michael on how things actually are progressing. Thanks, Willem. Great to be joining you from Doha in Qatar uh, on World Cup Corner on Box to Box. It, it is an amazing atmosphere building here in Qatar. There is a real sense of anticipation, whoever you run into uh, in your daily course of life here in Doha. But Qatar is sprinting to the line. Uh, the, the final landscaping on all of the FIFA live sites, uh, it feels like every bit of pavement uh, in Doha has been ripped up, every bit of na- nature ships has been ripped up and relayed. The city's sparkling, it's looking so good. There is, however, ongoing concerns about the ability of the Metro in particular to deal with the influx of 1.4 million fans during the group phase of the tournament and key city destinations like the Souk Wakif and the Corniche. Uh, there are some concerns that they might be overwhelmed. However, that's not dampening the uh, the optimism that uh, the Qatari government is sharing with anybody who wants to listen to it. It has been a Herculean effort in uh, rebuilding this city in preparation for the 2022 FIFA World Cup Qatar. In excess of two billion US dollars has been pumped into uh, the environment to build stadia to absolutely transform this city's infrastructure in preparation for the world's largest and most popular sporting event. They're ready and a FIFA president last week, Gianni Infantino, well he's declared it already the most successful FIFA World Cup in history. Time will tell whether his prediction will come true. However, uh, we will soon find out. Uh, Qatar says they're ready. Uh, the fans will be coming, regardless of uh, what people say about this tournament, the controversy surrounding how it was awarded. The FIFA World Cup is only less than 30 days away, and uh, we will all enjoy it, uh, whether that's uh, like myself and Willem here in Doha and Qatar, or whether you're on the couch watching uh, from Australia or wherever you are uh, watching the World Cup. Uh, the excitement's building. Uh, it is the biggest sporting event in the world, and Australia... We're about to take place in our fifth straight World Cup. That's something to celebrate. And who knows, with a bit of luck and a bit of good management, we might just get out of the group. Back to you, Willem. There you go. Uh, yeah. What did you uh, What did you take out of that, Rob? Yeah, look, it is fascinating. Look, I, I give, do give credit to Edge. I mean, he's got a, a real commercial um, involvement in this, as anyone who listens to this show know. He runs the Green and Gold Army, and uh, he obviously has a commercial vested interest in this. But uh, but again, if you've listened to this show long enough, then uh, then you'll know that we've attempted to uh, to provide a, as much of an even uh, and balanced comment um, between the uh, the football side of, of the conversation and uh, and all of the stories uh, around uh, uh, human rights abuse in building the infrastructure, the strict laws prohibiting homosexuality in Qatar, and uh, and just whether uh, the um, uh, the the World Cup is going to to just wash over all those stories. Well, they certainly haven't. Um, the international media has clearly uh, uh, covered those stories uh, uh, in in detail. The event is about to go on, and uh, and as we've said, and I know I've personally said that 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 not every individual person who is a Qatari native. 
um, it needs to be held responsible for every um, individual decision that's made um, by the, the ruling hierarchy of the country. So these people in their own right are entitled to a celebration and uh, and I hope that for everyone's sake that we see a celebration and then we see real and lasting change. Am I being naive? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out well. No, beautifully said, beautifully said. Um, I've got to say, Rob, when we uh, when we formulated the idea for this World Cup corner segment, I was very excited, but every week I've gone to write it, and unfortunately, it's just been about which player's going to miss, and Raphael Varane is uh, is the latest man under the uh, under the pressure of the clock. He seemed to tweak something in his knee in Man U's draw with uh, Chelsea. He was in tears. He's now expected to be available, uh, considering that France will go deep, but as I've said before, it's one thing to pull on the shirt and get out on the pitch. It's another thing to have your best form behind you. Uh, so yeah, he's not going to play again for United in the lead-up. Uh, Argentina manager Lionel Scaloni is waiting on this uh, this week. They are also uh, hoping that Angel Di Maria and Paulo Diabala will uh, get uh, will recover from their from their respective injuries, and he said that the fixture congestion across October in world football has been terrible. And I, I sort of agree with him. I mean, you've got to play at some point, uh, but it's not ideal when players are being overworked to the the point that a good bulk of the best of what we have to offer aren't going to get to the line. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, as we all know, that the, this uh, World Cup was was changed, uh, from a seasonal point of view uh, to to accommodate um, the, the the extreme heat. Um, the the match is going to be played in air conditioned um, uh, stadiums, and uh, but but then you've also got to take into consideration the fact that the fans uh, just can't be expected in their one point four million droves to uh, to to put up with uh, you know the the acute 40, 45 degree temperatures. Um, during the tournament, so they've shifted it. But the, these are the unintended, but certainly not unexpected consequences. Uh, and Diogo Jota as well for, for Liverpool. He's not going to be there. He tweeted out last week that his dream has been shattered despite getting so close to the line. So when you consider what these guys do to you know commit their entire lives to being professional footballers and you know the, an injury on the uh, on the eve of a World Cup really is. Uh, personally, I don't think it's overstating it to say that it's traumatic. So it's uh, it's unfortunate. And Rob, just a final one I'll leave you with. Tell me how much you read into this. Lionel Messi has said that Brazil and France are his favourites for the World Cup. Brazil and France. Well, I'm going to uh, suggest that his team might be one of the favourites. We must have Marcela Moura e Araujo on from uh, The Guardian soon to find out what she thinks. Uh, uh, but no, I think, Lionel, um, you are probably just deflecting a little bit and taking some of the pressure off uh, the uh, the national side of uh, of Argentina because I reckon he's more by the favourites. Willem, outstanding work. Thank you, mate. Thank you, Keep Roberto. Uh, the football's been unbelievable this week. All leagues going off and long may it continue uh, until we get to uh, to the World Cup in about three weeks' time. And before we go, a little shout-out. Uh, we've been flagging this for some time now, but Damien Tardio, who is our uh, our panel operator, producer, he edits the, the podcast and puts it together. He is uh, well-known to people who live in Melbourne as uh, one of the, the key people behind the uh, the all-conquering 3W breakfast show on Melbourne Radio. He's going to come out from behind the uh, panel and uh, co-host stoppage time with us later in the week. Uh, we have got Adriano Del Monte on the show. We're going to talk about Serie A, of which Damo is an absolute passionate expert. And we've got a couple of episodes of Offside, uh, which we're going to record. If you enjoyed our first three episodes with Martin Tyler, and then, uh, of course, Captain Soccer with Paul Wade, and then the beautiful uh, chat we had with uh, Heather Garriock. Uh, uh, if you haven't listened to them, go back and listen to them. But we've got Ron Smith, 
and Julie Dolan coming up over the next month. So uh, keep an ear out for those. Thank you again for listening to Box to Box. Please tell your friends uh, we're out there. We uh, we love to uh, to look at our our listening audience every week as it gradually grows. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box, Box to Box Stoppage Time, Box to Box Offside, wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us at Box to Box NTS and follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and make sure you join us throughout the week as our podcast drop and we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the game.